everybody. Welcome to Family Sunday. Hi, kids. Glad that you're here. We are starting a brand new series today. Uh, and uh, we're focusing on this idea of stewardship. Now, let me, let me just say something about stewardship. Because usually what happens in church, whenever the pastor starts talking about stewardship, people start squirming and touching their wallets. Because that preacher is going to talk about money at some point, right? And so uh, what I want to suggest to you is, yes, we'll probably talk about money at some point in the next couple of weeks. But the truth of the matter is, stewardship as a whole is a much bigger topic much bigger than your wallet. And depending on the size of your wallet, it might be a huge difference, you know, kind of a thing. So we're going to be talking about stewardship because um, we're, we're starting with some basic assumptions. Let me tell you what those assumptions are. The first one is, I, I'm assuming that God created us, <laughs> okay? That God created each and every person. And if God created us, assumption number two is that he has some intention for us. There's a reason why he created us, that there's a purpose behind it. And third, my third assumption is, is that if he has created us and he has an intention for us, then he also has gifted us with certain things in order to accomplish that intention. Does that make sense? I mean, it's just kind of logical, right? But that's my, my basic assumption, that he has given each person a certain amount of giftedness. He has gifted us, whether we're male or female. He's gifted us in our personalities. He has gifted us in talents and, and abilities. And if you follow Jesus, then he's also given you a spiritual gift of some type, a way to engage and edify the rest of the church. <clears throat> and what I want to start with is just this idea that if he has given us all of these things then our job is to steward them. Does that make sense? Is it okay to benefit from them? Of course. It, it's fine to benefit from your abilities and your experiences. You, you should do that. But others need to benefit from it as well. And that's where stewardship um, comes into play. As, as we move along in this series, we're going to talk um, more at length about where this idea of stewardship comes from the Bible, by the way, and, um, and also what it what actually means, where the, where the word comes from. So this idea of stewarding is to take these things that you've been giving and to do something with them, not to just harbor them and keep them to yourself, but to actually do something. That's what stewardship is all about. And so today, I want to start with the most important thing, right at the get-go. The most important. There's this one idea, this one gift that every human being has been given. Everyone has this. Whether you are a believer or if you're not yet a believer, you have this. This is just something inherent to humanity and it is the most important gift that we have. In fact, if we don't steward this gift well, you will be able to steward no gift at all. That's how important it is. It is the linchpin, it is the keystone, it is the cornerstone. Choose your metaphor. It's just that important. And if we don't get this one right, everything else becomes shaky. Are you with me? You want to know what it is? Here it is. You got it? Attention. It's your attention. Simply put, your 
attention is the keystone to everything else, and everybody has a certain amount of, uh, of attention. The great business writer Tom Peters put it this way. He says, what you pay attention to is where your priorities lie, and he's absolutely right. Your attention betrays what's the most important thing to you. And I can usually prove that by looking at your calendar and your checkbook. I can tell what's important to you. I can tell you where your attention is going based on how you, how you spend your time and how you spend your money. And, but it all starts with your attention. <clears throat> now, uh, every staff meeting, uh, we get together on Monday nights, and we ask three questions about Sunday. We do what's called a debrief. We debrief everything. And the three questions go like this. What went right? What needs improvement? And where was the God moment? Because you know, a couple of things. First of all, we want to celebrate the things that went right on Sunday. We want to know where we can improve things. We don't ask what went wrong. We said, where can we improve things? That has saved us more times than I can count. But the third thing is, is where was the God moment? And just recently, we switched them around. Because what you pay attention to is where your priorities lie. And so the first question we ask is, where was the God moment? Because you know what? It doesn't matter if we do things perfectly on Sunday morning. If there's go, no God moment on Sunday morning, then let's go do something else. Are you with me? What you pay attention to is where your priorities lie. And so we lead with that question just to say, okay, you know, you were in church on Sunday. Where's the God moment? And there's been a, several really good ones where we've noticed some things and we just kind of look and, and keep your attention open for God to actually move. Hey, there's another concept, God moving in church. Yes. So what you pay attention to is where your priorities lie. So attention is this kind of keystone gift that we've all been given. You can also call it focus. What are you focused on? And so here's the couple of questions. What has your attention during the day? What are you focused on from hour to hour, or in my case, from moment to moment? Sometimes it feels like there's all kinds of things buying for my, for my attention and for my focus, and you're probably the same way. Now, if you're like most Americans, your days are probably spent reacting to what other people are doing. Does that happen to you? You know what I'm talking about? I know Scott Nightingale's over there, uh-huh, because <laughs> I know what his job is. Uh, just as in customer service, he knows what that's about. You're reacting to, to other, other people, and, and I understand that. And what happens is when you react to what other people are doing, you're not, you may not be able to focus on some of the things that are most in, important. In fact, there was a, a recent study done of 90,000 people. That's a lot of folks. Statistically speaking, there is a very small margin of error. 90,000 people who were in knowledge-based work environments. That means that they aren't making something with their hands, but they're actually involved in some type of business that requires their knowledge and energy. And it indicated that 88% of those people believed that focus time, time spent focused on a task was absolutely critical to their job. And what was so interesting is that the same group of people said only about 55% of their time was actually spent doing that. Wow. Now, Granted, 55% is still more than half your time, but if you're working an eight-hour day, that's four hours of focused time. The question is, what happens to the other four hours? <laughs> Usually spent, you know, killing cockroaches or putting out fires, right? You know, because you're reacting to what else, what other people are, are going on. And I think it's safe to say that we are a very unfocused 
culture. Very unfocused. There are a lot of things that are vying for our attention. Have you turned on the TV lately? A lot of people aren't. They're getting a lot of their news from the web. Ever hear something called clickbait? <laughs> There's a lot of things vying for our, for our attention, for our focus. And what I want to say is that, look, if we're going to um, uh, steward that focus well that we have, uh, we've got we've to pay attention to what we pay attention to. And I think that being an unfocused person, if we're not stewarding that well, and we can't steward that, we can't steward anything else to do that. If we don't do it, it's not only not healthy for us, it's downright dangerous. And to that end, I want to make an illustration. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to see what Jesus has to say about this. I think this is really interesting. Matthew chapter 14. This is going to be a very familiar story to a, a lot of you, especially if you grew up in the church. And I'm going to read through it, and then I'm going to stop, and I'm going to make some comments as we go along. Okay, Matthew chapter 14. Remember, uh, Matthew is one of the biographers of Jesus. Um, he is writing to typically skeptical Jews, and so it's a very Jewish book. But we're going to be accessing um, this one uh, very, very differently. Not necessarily looking at the Jewishness of it, but we're going to see how attention and focus are important. Okay, here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Is at the Sea of Galilee, which is in the north part of Israel. While he dismissed the crowd, he had just finished ministering to a group of 5,000 plus. He fed them. Remember feeding the 5,000? That's the story that's previous to this. So he made his disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him, and he dismissed the crowds. Verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came... He was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. <laughs> when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, I love this, they were terrified. It's a ghost! they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. In verse 28, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come, come to you on the water. <laughs> Can I play? Can I play? Jesus says, come on, Peter. That's the David version again. That Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Mm. Wouldn't it be great if the story stopped right there? But it doesn't. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. 
This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it, God, and I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word, that you would give us insight not only to what the text says to those people, but what it might mean for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus feeds 5,000. Jesus sends them out. He realizes that he's a distance, but that doesn't bother, bother Jesus because, you know, he created the elements. If he don't, doesn't want gravity right now, cool. And so he goes walking on the water, and the disciples freak out. I mean, come on, that would be crazy to see. Yes, we've seen movie magic, but it'd be one thing if the waves are going to... How many of you have been on a lake when there's lots of waves? Have you been? Okay. How many of you have been over the side of the boat getting rid of the stomach, your stomach contents because of the waves? Yes, I have done that. So uh, it's not a whole lot of fun. And to see somebody walking across would have been absolutely astonishing. And so Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost. I'm, I'm Jesus. And you should not be surprised by this because you've seen me do other miracles. But, you know, they're still surprised by all of that. And Peter, I love Peter's response. I, I, I want to try this. You know, Peter, Peter's like, come on. And so Jesus says, come. And so he goes out and then he notices what? The wind and the waves. Blub, 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 blub. And Jesus makes this great comment. Why did you doubt? By the way, the Greek word here is why did you think about two different things? Why did you waver? Isn't that interesting? Why did you doubt? And then they get into the boat. What do the disciples do? They worshiped him. Truly you are the son of God. Why? He's walking on the water. Oh, and by the way, the text even says when they got into the boat, the wind died down. How crazy is that? I mean, that, when something happens that immediate, you're going to notice it. So, so much so that the author makes note of this. I think it's, it's important to think about that. So that's kind of the, the backdrop to this, this story. And I think what it does is it shows us three reasons why we tend to lose focus during the day. Why our attention goes away from us. And here's the first one. is other people's demands. We lose focus because of other people's demands on our time and on our attention. If you have a customer service-oriented job, you know what this is like because you live it every single day. Verse 22, <clears throat> immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Remember, he's doing all this ministry to 5,000 people. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Even Jesus needed some time off. He recognized the fact that, you know, we had just expended a lot of energy here. And he needed some time just by himself, not even with his closest disciples. So how about your life? You know, how are you doing with that? How much of your time is spent reacting to other people? Now, that's not necessarily bad, especially if you get paid for it, right? But the point is, you can wear out if you're not careful about other people's demands encroaching on your time. So here's a great way to, to deal with this, all right? You might want to write this down. Say no. <laughs> Easier said than done, preacher, right? Yeah, I know, I understand that. But the point is, is that we've got to learn how to say, you know what, that's another person's demand. And that may or may not be important to the thing that I'm doing right now. And you have to weigh that, of course, with the Lord's wisdom. So 
other people's demands. Here's the second one. Distractions. Distractions, which are typically good things, and we end up spending a lot of time on those good things. And they happen to us all the time. Look at verse 30. Peter's out on the water. He says, but when he saw the wind. Now, if you're a sailor, wind is a good thing, right? It actually propels your boat. But when he's out on the water and not in the boat, he's looking at this good thing called the wind and something happens, right? When he saw wind, he got distracted. He wasn't focused on Jesus and heading towards Jesus. He got focused on the wind. But when he saw the wind, see, distractions happen to us all the time. I think I mentioned this story before. I was sitting at Starbucks um, a couple of months ago, and there was this um, just adorable couple who walked in. And um, they got their coffee, and they were sitting there, and they were on the couch, and they were, I think the term is canoodling. I'm not really sure what that means. I hope it means what I think it means, because I just used the word canoodling in church. And uh, they were kind of sitting there, and it was, it was, it was kind of cute to watch, you know, this, this young couple. And then, you know, I'm looking down, and I think I look back up, and the next thing you know, they're both on their phones, not talking to each other. And I had this deep desire to walk over and go, dude, what? she's gorgeous. What are you looking? You look at your phone anytime. She wants to hang out with you for crying out loud. Go back to canoodling. It's a lot more interesting than watching people looking at their phones. Now, the phone is a great thing. The phone is a tool. It's not a toy. My wife's in the, in the, in the service today, so I have to say this. It's not a toy. It's a tool. It's a good thing. We use it quite um, to our benefits, but when you start looking at it all the time and stop engaging with real human beings, brother, sister, you distracted. And distractions can steal your focus, can steal your attention. It seems to me that we don't need all of these inputs all of the time, and it seems that distraction now is the new normal especially for Americans. So here's the third one. Fear. Fear is a monster. Fear will take your focus and your attention so quickly and it will hold it hostage. And here's the things that you can be afraid of. Here's a couple of them. Well, here, yeah. uh, um, Verse 30 again. But when he saw the, the wind... He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me, right? So it wasn't that he was just distracted by the wind. The wind is a good thing, but he became afraid Um, because generally, I mean, Peter spent most of his time on the water because he was a fisherman, but the point is, is that typically speaking, the Jewish people were not a seafaring people. And so one of the most frightening things in, in Jewish thought was whatever was underneath the waves. Pretty frightening. So when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, Lord, save me. He understood the dangers that he was in. But nothing, nothing will steal our focus like fear. And here here are some of the things you'd be afraid of. You can be afraid of loss, especially if you're going through any kind of change that you may not have chosen for yourself. It is fear of loss. There's also the fear of the pain that comes with the process of changing. Let's, let's just be honest there. It's not fun. You have to go through some stuff, and sometimes we can get so afraid of the actual process of change or transition 
that you just it'll steal your focus from the end result. You can also be afraid of failure. I don't want to fail. I always try to tell our teams, I try to tell my girls this, I try to tell myself this. There is no such thing as failure. There is success or learning. But sometimes the learning's kind of painful. And I would really like to not learn that thing that way. How about you? Right? The other one is you can also have fear of the outcome. Well, what happens if I expend all that energy and go through all that pain and it wasn't really worth it? What do I do about that? that that's something I don't, I, I got to wrestle with that, right? So fear of the outcome, the pain that, that happens at, at the very end of this. And in verse 31, Jesus says to him, and I love this, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Again, this idea of why did, you, why did you waver? You know what? Doubt is a form of fear. A fear that I might be wrong. A fear that there may be something else. I'm doubting this because there might be another alternative that I'm not listening to. That is afraid of something that I might be missing. And I'm kind of a cup half empty guy. I'm always afraid that I'm missing something. I'm a little, a little worried about that. It's just a form of fear. And, and what Jesus says here is your little faith. And so faith is kind of this antidote to fear. But please understand that it may not be what you had in mind, but, and it's not necessarily that we have faith that I'm going to get the outcome that I'm after, that I'm going to achieve my goal. That's not the, what I have faith in. I have faith in the fact that there is a God who loves me and is going to see me through this regardless of what the outcome is. It's not the faith in the end result, it's the faith of the one who's there to reach out his hand and catch you. You with me? You should be saying amen to that one, right? It's good stuff. So it's imperative for us to steward our focus. We have to be mindful of what gets our attention and how long it gets our attention. <clears throat> I know sometime when I'm most procrastinating. I get real interested in YouTube and what do you know an hour or how about this? Netflix. Oh, preachers meddling now, right? Netflix, binge watching. I like to binge watch too. And two hours later, it's like, ooh, where did that two hours go? Yeah. Facebook. It's another one. We have to be mindful about about what gets our attention and for how long, because things like demands and distraction and doubt or fear can absolutely overwhelm us. And just like Peter, we feel like we're sinking. And it's not sinking into water, we feel like we're sinking into this mire of, I can't keep up. Anybody feel that way? It happens all time. And by the way, I've noticed this, that the enemy, and there is an enemy who seeks to destroy you, will tell you the lie that you need to deal with every one of those issues all at the same time right now. And that's not true. That's one of the lies that he, that he uses to keep us distracted and to keep our attention off of the goals that God has set for us. Do you hear that? huge. So if I'm stewarding my attention, I'm keeping the devil at bay, and that sounds like a good idea to me. Hmm. 
There's a phrase that I heard, I don't remember where I got it. It goes like this. Next slide. Where focus goes, energy flows. Isn't that cute? Where focus goes, energy flows. It's true. It happens when you're driving, right? And uh, sometimes if you notice a billboard, all of a sudden you're like drifting over into the next lane. Okay, maybe that's just me. And uh, everyone's like, man, keep your eyes on the road. My dad used to say, keep it between the white lines, son. <laughs> okay, dad, thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, but that's, that's true. Where your focus goes, your energy flows. And I have to admit that this, I, this subject matter hits me really close to my own heart because I've spent the last year exploring this idea of productivity. I, I, I happen to be a creative individual, and I'm in a job that requires a lot of administrative attention. And those of you who know me know that I don't have a whole lot of administrative gifts. It's just true. Um, but I, my job requires me to do that, and so I feel most of the time like I'm going <sighs> right in two. And so I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this very thing and realizing that I need to steward my attention and my focus as well. And here's what I've noticed, is that when, when, we're, when we're really fixated on this idea, focusing and the energy flowing to it, the thing that makes human beings the most happy is progress progress makes us happy. When we feel like we're actually accomplishing something with our day, and this is why when we're reacting to everybody else, we don't feel like we're accomplishing anything. And that makes us unhappy. There's some nods in the house. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's at work right now. <laughs> I can just tell, and it's, it, it's true. So let me give you just a little bit of advice, just a couple pieces of advice. You might want to write some of these down or just remember them for later. But my first advice, and I know this is the pastor thing to say, but you need to hear me why. The first thing you need to do, you need to pray about this stuff. Because the God who created you, the God who has intention for you, the God who has gifted you, has something to say to you about what you're going to focus on. So why not start there? In fact, a lot of the, the productivity writers right now will tell you the best thing you can do first thing in the morning is to meditate. That means prayer for those of us who follow Jesus. Meditate, sure, but focus on the things that God has for you and that relationship that you have and hear from him about what he might want to do with those things that he already put in you. Are you with me? For some reason, that just feels like rocket surgery, but it's not. It's just something we have to do on a daily basis. Check in with God, meditate. What does Jesus have to say about all of this? Here's the next thing. Get clear on the thing that you're after. you, you got to be clear about it. I noticed that if I don't spend about five or ten minutes the night before trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my day tomorrow, I spend most of my day just reacting. What am I supposed to do today, right? Or if I actually sit down and I write out and go, okay, I need to accomplish X, Y, and Z. And again, this is not hard stuff, but it's the discipline to actually do it that becomes becomes the great challenge with all of it. Here's the, here's the next thing. <clears throat> Once you're clear about what you're doing, have enough whys to keep you motivated. Why do you want that? Why are you pushing that? What is, what is driving that? If you don't have enough whys, you're never going to stay, stay motivated. And, and it can't just be because, well, somebody else said so. Mm -mm, that's got to come from within you if you want to stay motivated on something. And when you, when you, when you're, when you're motivated, it keeps your focus and it mitigates things like demands of other people and distraction and fear. And so here's the final thing is you need to, you need to guard your focus. You've got to think about the things that you're thinking about. 
Doesn't that sound funny? I need to think about what I'm thinking about. But you have to learn how to be self-aware and go, okay, what am I just focusing my attention on right now? Why am I doing that? And if you're doing something that is, that is not moving you forward, then you have to say, stop it! <laughs> and stop doing that and change your direction. Monitor the things that are sucking your time. You have to, you have to do that as well. You see, the thing of it is, in an age of distraction, and that's where we are, we're in an age of distraction, focus is power. Because there's a lot of unfocused things that are going on, and focus is power to keep you moving, moving forward. And so my, my, my basic advice is start with Jesus and work from there, but understand that you have been given a gift of your attention. And your job is to steward that as best you can. If you get that part right, then everything else we're going to talk about in this series will fall into place. But it all starts with your focus and your attention.